Welcome aboard on Consider Everything. I'm your host, Brig Haynes, and let's go explore today to improve our mental health tomorrow. guys so i'm here with my sister-in-law tyler and she loves dogs i know that for sure and she's a dog trainer here in the area and i kind of wanted to get her idea as far as how dog training can apply to uh, mental health and how we can use at least training as far as training our brains and not necessarily having to rely on medications or anything like that so do you think that training a dog the way that you do as far as your style do you think that can be applied to somebody who struggles with mental illness I do. Actually, when I started learning dog training, um, when I was learning from professionals how to do positive reinforcement, essentially, versus what I had just learned from society of how to dog train, um, I noticed that from blank slate, no professional intervention, um, I used a lot of, like, I'm the alpha, the pain like putting punishment based like I did do positive reinforcement a lot as well but um I also you know manipulated behavior I did certain things like physically uh put them into positions I wanted them in things like that that um I realized that I think we do that with ourselves also like it's super common for people to you know talk poorly about themselves even if they don't realize it like in their subconscious just essentially being like you're sick you're not doing it enough you're not good enough like things like that like these are all messages that are from what I've been hearing from different professionals in uh, psychology because it's just something I'm intrigued about is uh, that this actually does the opposite of what people think it will do it essentially people think that if you tear yourself down or, you know, punish yourself for not doing the behavior that you want to do, that it will motivate you to stop doing that. And if you stop punishing yourself, you will lean into the behavior. And what they find is the opposite happens. The more you punish, bring yourself down, things like that, the more you struggle with getting out of that behavior. Tyler, I wanted to kind of ask you some questions about your dog training and how you kind of got into that. So what led you to wanting to become a dog trainer? Um, well, like you said, I love dogs. I love all species, to be honest. always been huge into animals. And uh, I didn't, I used to train as a kid, all my dogs. And I was pretty good at it, but I didn't really think it would be a career option. But uh, yeah, I moved to Logan and there was a place right next to us that was offering a job as a trainee in dog training and so I was like all right let's try this out apparently you can make you know money you can do this as a job so I gave it a shot so uh, most of the dogs that I've trained have been people that I know that have reached out to me about having issues uh, with their dog's behavior. I do have a lot of people when they hear I'm a dog trainer ask me questions (laughs) about it which um, most of the time, it's not a quick answer I could give, so that's always, like, a hard. <laughs> yeah, they're probably looking for quick answers, so that way they don't have to work with their dog a lot and have to keep training it all the time and stuff, mm-hmm. so that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you find that a lot of people are very impatient when you first work with them? Um, I don't know if I'd say they seem impatient. I do think that they're not always mentally prepared for the work honestly I've had it be a lot of the times that I either 
am just training one-on-one -on -one with the dogs and that can have progress in and of itself but honestly it's less the dog that needs training and more the people and how they interact with that dog and their environment needs work and management as well and so yeah I would say that most of the time people think it's a dog issue when a lot of the times it's a communication issue between the two and yeah. they need to be part of it as well. I hear often that when I'm talking to like friends that have, like I've talked to friends that have dogs or whatever and they're always like oh my dog just doesn't listen to me or it usually ends up putting the blame on the dog instead of maybe flipping that on the other side of the, the coin there and mm -hmm. being like maybe it's you're not being around the dog or maybe there's certain things that you didn't know you were doing that are maybe affecting the dog so that's an interesting point I never thought about that that maybe it's the the person who hasn't really trained them that it's kind of their fault and not necessarily the dog because mm -hmm. you think about it, if you just let them roam free it's just whatever is going to happen it's not really a they don't really have any guidance so that makes a lot of sense um, I also want to ask you what's your style of training as far as helping a dog to adapt a good behavior or to adopt good behaviors I should say mm -hmm. well I am considered a positive uh, trainer I essentially focus on positive reinforcement I use any form of punishment as like last well I can't say that entirely punishment how people would think about punishment I use less I use very mild more correction things that aren't probably aren't seen as a punishment from the outside in but um, yeah I mainly focus on making sure that it's a reinforcing a behavior instead of stopping a behavior and I also work on not fixing just the behavior, but fixing the reason the behavior is happening. Which is probably why positive reinforcement is a lot better because, yeah, you can beat the shit out of a dog, right? And it'll stop, but I bet there'll be other things that pop up later on because of the way that you're treating them to stop one behavior that other things kind of pop up. It's like whack-a-mole where you hit one and then another one pops up. It's probably yeah. a little bit like that, right? And that's actually kind of leading into my other question. Like, what do you think about shock collars or methods that are marketed to bring quick changes in bad behaviors. Mm. Yeah, I am not for shock collars for a few different reasons. Um, the first one being that, like I've stated, I focus on using positive um, methods that are reinforcing the behavior I want and um, shock collars can be effective in some ways and they also can have other downfalls such as fallout behavior such as like let's say you have a dog that barks at people and if you haven't identified if they're barking because they're scared or if they're barking because they're happy you're just trying to essentially cause pain every single time they bark you could be creating an association that every time that dog sees people they get hurt Oh, and then it can turn into more of a aggression or more of a becoming even more reactive even if the barking goes away it can later turn into well you've turned off one form of communication now the next form is maybe growling and if you turn that communication off then the next one's probably biting do you think that sometimes behavior therapy isn't enough and you have to intervene with some kind of physical intervention or do you think everything can be solved by behavioral therapy um, I don't think shock collars specifically are necessary. Um, I know that there's actually shock collars are starting to be banned in a lot of states. Um, a lot of
countries. Um, you'll notice, like, I believe it's, like, PetSmart and maybe Petco don't carry them anymore. Like, it's really? starting to be taken out of the market. So specifically talking about that one form of training. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't agree with it for you know ethical reasons for the dogs um however to say would i ever do anything to physically correct something like if you're asking if i would ever cause harm mm -hmm. no yeah would i step in and physically put myself between a situation with a dog i understand their behavior how to react with them and stuff um put myself between it use if they're on a leash take them away from the behavior or take them away from the trigger i should say um things like that like yes i would physically intervene in certain situations but i would not physically intervene in the sense of causing harm to that like physical harm to that dog just to stop a behavior yeah that makes a lot of sense um and i was actually going to ask you so what have you seen personally the side effects that just not shock collars in themselves, but also other, like what other techniques or, or uh, I, should, I should say technology have they created that is kind of like a shock collar that you've noticed have caused a lot of damage to dogs? Because I don't know if it's just shock collars or they have other things that seem unethical to you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different methods that you can use that um, can be using equipment or could just be um, you exhibiting physical aggression onto your dog. So that could be like choke collars, um, especially ones on prongs, prong collars, things like that. Um, those make me nervous because of you're essentially creating the possibility that your dog could collapse their trachea, oh which could kill them or really hurt them. There, something that comes up with punishment is you get a callus for it. And what I mean by that is let's say you had a rubber band on your wrist the first few times you snapped it it would be very uncomfortable by the 200th time you snapped it you might be used to it at that point especially if you are pairing that with something you want mm. that callus can start to create this imbalance where how using punishment works for it to stop a behavior is the punishment has to outweigh the reward of the behavior However, if over time that punishment stops being uh, more heavy than the behavior, the thing they want to do, then you know they'll just push through it. You see oh, dogs wow. that like, um, and I'm not ne necessarily against the electric fences if they're taught correctly. They can help, but I've, I know I've worked with dogs that straight just run through those because they're like. I'll just, I'll just go full speed, and go ah for five seconds, and I'm free. Like, <laughs> they go supersonic they mode. <laughs> they just go through it like they wow. do not care, and I see that so often with like collars, especially. I always try to walk dogs on a harness. It's just safer, especially if they pull, because they will. A lot of people have seen this, where a dog is just like looks like they're just choking themselves. Yeah. Just keep going. They will not stop, and that's what I'm talking about. They will not stop it doesn't always stop them that's interesting that you say that because like you're saying about the callus like it gets to a point where they don't feel it anymore mm -hmm. and they're willing to do anything just to go after that same thing that they're looking for because now at the beginning they didn't do it because it hurt mm -hmm. but now that it doesn't hurt 
and they're still getting hit by the rubber band, they don't notice that, so they're, they just keep going after what they want. Yeah, and it's been shown through some behavioral studies that a um, reinforcement outweighs punishment in the sense of, like, people will endure, or an individual dog, person, whoever the behavior is for, typically will endure pain for a reward. Mm. Um, I thought a really interesting study was on um, some... I can't remember the type of primate they were, but I'm pretty sure they were small monkeys. Um, But they taught them to headbang for a reward, and they would headbang to the point where it injured them. Like damage their head? I can't remember the exact... It didn't specify the exact damage, but it just specified that it was injuring them, what they were doing. They were pushing it to the point where they were hurting themselves for the reward. Is it kind of like that movie Bird Box where they're smacking their head against the window? (laughs) Yeah, I imagine something (laughs) similar, but it just shows that, like, um, punishment has its limits. And, yeah, I focus on reward because I believe it's more powerful of a behavior changer and motivator. Well, I feel like it takes away fear because a lot of times fear can cause a lot of damage just in society or even probably in dogs in general. I'm sure you've seen that while working with dogs. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's kind of like, I, since I grew up in the LDS church and you were kind of around it too, I mean, you were in the church, but you, you grew up around it. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing with pornography I found out is that a lot of times in the church, I'm not dissing on the church, it's just something I found personally, is that they they very much frown down upon people that look at pornography, mm-hmm. and it's something where you almost get scared if you look at it, or you feel like you're guilty if you do look at it, mm-hmm. and you act on it. And I found that when I was looking at pornography, and then when I'd act on it, I would feel really guilty, and I'd feel fearful, and I'd actually feel like there was no other hope for me, because I'm already in it, might as well just, mm-hmm. the only way that I could get out, I couldn't really get out of it, I felt like there was no way, and so it'd just get worse and worse and worse, do you think it's kind of the same way as far as, like, pornography, and also with beating yourself up, in general? Yeah, I think that, because, um, essentially, like, how I'd break that down, if I was thinking about it from a dog trainer standpoint, yeah. is like, okay, they must be doing that behavior, because it's rewarding, yeah. And so I would look at pornography as like it obviously is something rewarding. Like it is rewarding even though you have all this shame around it as well. But I also believe that all the shame and um, like self, poor self talk essentially makes it harder for you to not want that quick fix of make myself feel better. Like yeah. we want to be at a baseline of feeling okay. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, I found that the reason why I would go to pornography even more is because I was feeling down, or I was feeling like, oh, because I I didn't tell anybody while I was looking at it. You're supposed to talk to your bishop or talk to somebody in the church if you look at it, and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to because I was scared of what they would think of me, especially since these people know me. Like, my bishop knows me pretty well, and I didn't want to talk to him about it. And so I found that I was looking at it purposely because I was feeling guiltier and guiltier, and it's just building up exponentially. And when this would happen, I found that pornography would immediately bring me back up to a normal instead of feeling where I was at as far as feeling guilty, don't want to talk to the bishop, he's going to hate me and think I'm just some gross pervert Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that's, I don't know, you kind of agree with that a little bit as far as, like, as you keep going in a downward spiral because you're Mm -hmm. fearful instead of actually... Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I don't know the full, like, psychology into it, like, all of the 
nooks and crannies of that situation, but yeah. like, or any um, of them. But essentially, yeah, I do think that you're on one end. I think that when you're bringing yourself down, you're making yourself less strong. I guess is how I, I don't know how to put that better. Like you're not as um, whole. You're not as complete. You're not as full. Where you can confident. make a better situation for yourself. Like, you're not as confident. That's a good one. Like, you're less confident. You're not as strong. You believe poor things about yourself. Like, all of this. And something comes in as well that I just thought of, of, like, you believe something and then it becomes true. Whether it's good or bad for yourself. Like, once you start to believe, like, oh, I'm a bad person, a lot of the times, those, like, marginalized people that get the label of I'm a bad person I'm a bad person um, they end up essentially just owning that and being like I'm a bad person Wow. I'm just going to do bad person things I don't know if you've heard of these studies but I remember t- talking to somebody when I was living in Pogasello he was telling me that there's these studies where if you are growing a plant and you label one like ugly or stupid and you label another one like beautiful or something like that i don't know if this is true Mm -hmm. but i've heard from what the study he told me is that the one that you label bad will like almost deteriorate or kind of look Mm -hmm. almost ugly for for a little bit Mm -hmm. and then the other one actually just grows and like flourishes like Mm -hmm. if you put more attention onto one or the other you're label one as ugly or stupid then it'll take on that label and start to do as if what you're wanting them to do was that in that scenario um, did the person constructing the experiment speak to those different plants? Oh yeah, in a speaking. way that okay, because yeah. I know that like auditory responses from plants. If I've heard a ton of studies, and I've never done it myself, or I haven't looked into it, but I have heard of essentially how you talk to your plants can change how they grow. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't, I, th- I got that wrong. It wasn't labeling. It was, mm-hmm. you talk to one, calling one ugly, and you say the other one is beautiful. You like, you mm-hmm. talk to one as if they're stupid, they're unimportant, and then you talk mm-hmm. to the other one as if they are beautiful, cared for, and everybody mm-hmm. wants them kind of thing. Yeah. Have you have you heard of that study? Like, do you think it's kind of BS, or do you think it applies to, like, as far as if you're trying to help your dog or you want to connect with your dog, do you think that is the same kind of thing, or? Yeah, I mean... Plant intelligence is a whole other category, but to say, do I think that it makes a difference how you speak to an individual? Yes. How you speak to yourself, how you speak to your dog, and perhaps how you speak to a plant. Like, I, I do think that that creates a big difference on how that moves forward. And you even see, like, sometimes parents, sometimes they... Um, talk to their kids a certain way that it makes them feel bad but sometimes the parents are totally loving totally fine you would on the outside see like this kid has no reason to have any problems but then if you look at the parents they speak poorly about themselves and kids internalize how they see their parents speaking to themselves so it's not just how you talk to an individual it could be how you talk to yourself especially like children are very you know, susceptible. They want to be like their um, models, like their parents, like their guardians, you know, and so they are learning how to talk to themselves. And yeah, so it's really important to not just be kind to yourself, but to others. Yeah. And when you're growing up, you're, you're learning a new language, right? You don't know really how to speak that much. So I'm willing to bet that most of our observations aren't going to be from hearing. It's going to be, or 
interpreting language as much as seeing what we're seeing with our eyes. Because like I bet growing up, that's a big thing as far as what you're saying is we see how our parents treat themselves as far as if they love themselves or if they beat themselves up all the time. And I bet we take that in more than we actually think we do, especially just for children in general. Mm-hmm. And actually, this kind of connects with what I'm going to talk about next is when I first moved here to Roy, I moved with you and my brother. Mm-hmm. It's because I, I kind of needed to get away and just figure out my own life because as far as my old hometown, I was leaving the church and some shit was going down, so I needed to figure out my own life. So I moved here thinking that it would change everything and actually it got worse because I didn't know anybody here. My brother was gone and he was a huge friend of mine because he went up to military training. So I was stuck here mm-hmm. and I didn't know. I was like, cause I didn't know you that well. You, I, I got to know you. We were pretty good friends, but we didn't know each other that well. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was down here. I was scared to talk to you because I was like, oh, I don't really know her that well. I don't want to put my emotions on her. But then I finally just decided to talk with you because I remember you talked about how you went through some struggles with mental illness and I was going through a lot at that point in time. And so I decided to talk with you and we had a we went on a walk with with your little dog Nug. Mm-hmm. And you made some really good points about how instead of trying to find one solution to things, start using behavior therapy. You kind of talked to me about that when we were walking to the park. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was listening that well. I'm not the greatest listener, but <laughs> it did stick with me later. I remember as I was trying to figure out my own life and I was trying to get off medication, I remembered back to that point when you were talking about how you can change your own behaviors without having to get medication or find a one quick solution. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I, we were going through that park, I wanted to, I remember you kind of talked a little about your history as far as uh, your process of learning how to change your own behaviors from when you first noticed that you had some struggles with mental illness. And I know you have some use, you have used some behavioral therapy for your own battle with mental illness, but what led you to learning about it and applying it to your own life? Um, well, I think I knew from a pretty early age that something in my mind wasn't quite right. You know, I was having thoughts that a young child shouldn't have about themselves, and I kind of, I don't know how I knew at the time, but I just knew something wasn't right. And, um, at the time, I think that when I reached out for help, um, I wonder if my parents felt like if they accepted that I might have a mental illness, that that meant that it was their fault I had Mm -hmm. a mental illness. And so I really think that they did not want to believe me. And so I studied it a lot because I was like, well, I can't see somebody so I need to learn about this as much as I can like I've been doing self-help stuff learning about it since I was like nine really and so when I was 18 and you know had the control of my life to make those decisions for myself I immediately got into therapy and um, I've been in therapy off and on for Well, I'm 25 now, so since then. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, and I would say that, like, behavior therapy is not a quick fix for everyone either. Like, there's some people that it works faster than others. And I also, like me saying I've gone on and off, you kind of, it's almost like getting a haircut or, you know bathing or whatever like you have to take care of yourself and sometimes like you need to not just think okay I'm better now and that's it like you have to keep working on yourself and keep you know keep up the uh mental grooming that is needed to keep yourself mentally healthy that's a really good way to put it like grooming it's almost 
like when you're struggling with mental illness, I feel like everybody does struggle with it. It's just different levels. Mm. I, I think when we put a label on mental illness, we just think of crazy cuckoo people that can't, they just go around killing people or they need to be detained or else they're going to do something really bad. Mm-hmm. But I feel like everybody, no matter if they've been slapped with a label or not, everybody deals with it at some point in time in their lives. And I like how you say that it's almost like grooming where everybody has to groom. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, if you want to pick up the ladies or pick up the dudes, mm-hmm. you got to groom yourself, right? There's yeah. certain things you got to do. And if you just do it once, that's great. It'll work for a little bit, but it's not going to last forever. That's a really cool way of putting it. It's almost grooming yourself. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're in a good upkeep, like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff that's a really cool way of putting it um what methods have you found to be the most effective as far as for you because like you said before each dog is different mm-hmm. as for humans it's probably each of us is different too yeah we're a lot like other animals where we each are different like we may be similar to others but we're different so what are the most effective ways that you've found for your own self well this is one that i think applies for most people when um mental illness starts to take root because I believe any person could become mentally ill if you're not taking care of yourself but oftentimes um, distortive thinking is usually the first thing you're gonna learn about in therapy and it's essentially thoughts that are either there's some fallacy to them like there's the absolute thinking black and white Um, if I am late to work I'm going to lose my job if I do this, this is gonna happen. Um, if I do this, I'm that kind of person. Like there's no middle ground in between, nothing, like things like that. And um, that's just one example of many distortive thinking um, patterns people can have. And I think that, you know, starting my journey, that was one of the first things I had to first recognize because the first thing to do for you to be able to heal is to recognize what needs healing and recognize what my cognitive distortions were, what thought processes I was having that was, you know, essentially not true, but I believe so wholeheartedly, I was so trained to think they were true because it's, as they'll say, a defense mechanism to keep yourself safe. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I'd say is like the stepping stone. And then from there, something that really helped me is I have uh, a pretty uh, severe anxiety disorder and depression, which is the awesome combo. Yeah, that's, that's like the, that's like the, the triple threat or the double threat. Yeah, in like it's, it's the combo to yeah. have. But um, I've noticed that I almost thought I had bipolar because I would be so just like, yeah, life's good. I didn't. Who's that depressed person? No clue. That's not me. Slap that bitch. No, that's not me. And then I would fall into a depression and it was as if I had never known happiness. Like they were almost two separate entities for me, two different people entirely that were not talking. So that was part of the reason why Um, because they would just come randomly like I don't have a very like um, for sure trigger it just Mm kind of comes and goes um, for me yeah and so when I would be going to therapy like when I was depressed I was like fix me fix it (laughs) and then I would (laughs) get into my like oh yeah I'm living life I'm feeling good all is well and I'm like I don't need you no more I'm healthy (laughs) and like then I'd leave and then I'd get all (laughs) super depressed again and I'm like what and yeah so anyways this pattern went on for years and um 
I finally, I've gone through many different therapists, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I feel like people hear that, and they're like, damn, that person's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, a lot of people go into therapy, get matched with someone that isn't a match. You need to find someone that knows how to work with you. And also, each therapist has different perspectives and skills that they can give you so i'm totally about seeing multiple therapists like totally do it but anyways my point is is i saw one that gave me the idea to write to those different alter egos my jacqueline hyde situation you know and so i did i when i was feeling up and good you know i wrote to depressed me and said you know i remember the first one i wrote i was laying in bed with my husband and I was essentially describing how I was laying with him and how much I loved him and that, you know, I felt happy and loved and that... That's my brother. Yep. Hey. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that I just... This was a good moment. This existed. This happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wrote that so that when I did feel down, when I read that feeling down, it connected me to myself as odd as that sounds on a level that like I would say I no longer have extremes on both sides which you know sometimes I'm like dang I'd love to have that day where I'm like just so confident nothing matters you're in a euphoria state yeah but honestly like I'm a lot more well-rounded like I am more focused to be able to fix like work on what's going on inside me whereas before it was almost impossible because it felt like when I was good I could freaking feed myself, go to bed, drink water, exercise, get my stuff done, go to work, be happy, be bubbly, be the person people like. And then I would be so frustrated because it would just derail the moment that depressed side of me came out. I just couldn't look at people. I didn't want... I couldn't do anything. (laughs) Like, I couldn't get myself to get off the couch. I couldn't do anything. And I would do that negative self-talk. I actually, another therapist learned that I was doing this negative self-talk because I was telling him how frustrated I am with myself. I'm like, I'm just laying on the couch doing nothing. And I am literally just telling myself in my head, like, girl, just get up. Like, do something. Go shower. Take care of yourself. Do something. But I cannot move. I cannot. And I was telling him this, and I started screaming at myself in the therapy session which was crazy I was like get the fuck up like I was screaming at myself and then when I did that out loud I was like oh dang (laughs) yeah that's severe like that's I didn't fully realize that's how I was speaking to myself at all times that's really interesting you know on my journey like even just talking with you you really made me think about things because about two months ago I already talked about this another podcast but I thought ADHD pills were going to like solve everything. And you guys are pretty supportive of it, but I I thought it was going to solve everything and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And when, when I realized what I was doing was wrong and I got off of them, I was like, well, fuck, what am I supposed to do now? Now I'm just Jekyll and Hyde. I'm kind of like you where I'm like, oh, one day I'm like, yeah, let's go do all this stuff. And then one day I can't even get out of bed. I'm like, mm-hmm. I probably have a chamber pot underneath my bed because I don't even want to move. <laughs> um, I found that the best way that's really helped me these past, I don't know, about two months or so of me actually trying to figure out my own life without pills to be the cover-up mm-hmm. is questioning and I really liked how you said that you got to always question what your brain is telling you it's not always black and white and I found that when I have a bad thought pop in my head mm-hmm. it's more of hey what 
does that really make sense? Mm-hmm. Does that really make sense to me? I don't know. Is that one way that you say that would work for people too? Is questioning as soon as a thought pops up into somebody's brain, not just mine, but just people that are struggling with it in general. Oh yeah, this is actually a habit of mine that I know drives people crazy because I do this in every aspect, not just my own brain, but question everything. <laughs> that's yeah. just my philosophy, and like sometimes I I am the type that's like I take things to extremes at times, but like I genuinely think you should question everything because I didn't realize for myself a lot of the beliefs I had, a lot of things I was told, a lot of stuff that I was like, if I didn't stop and question it, I wouldn't have realized, like, I don't agree with that or that doesn't make sense. You know, things like that that I was like, I'm just doing this because I was told this and because this is you know bouncing off my skull all the time just reverberating and just like intensifying that i should believe this just because i was told that's what i should believe and i think we all do that it's a lot easier you know to just be complacent with the thoughts we've already been given rather than to stop and be like hold on do these thoughts make sense does does this make sense yeah, it's hard to adjust. Anything that, ch- like, I, I don't know, you probably know more about this because you've done a lot more study on like behavioral changing and all that kind of stuff. But at least for me, I've noticed that just as a human being in general, I hate change. And I'm sure that's for everybody. So when you have to go against the grain, none of us like that. Yeah. It's very difficult. Changing anything is so hard. Even if it's for the benefit for us, mm-hmm. it's still hard. And a lot of times, like you're saying, the reward of that may not be enough mm-hmm. for us to change or we don't think it is. And Actually, that was another question I was going to ask you before is... I'll try to keep it, like, simple, simple, because there's actually four quadrants of reinforcement and punishment. Um, Reinforcement basically just means I want that behavior to happen. Like, I asked my dog to sit, they sat, reinforced. I gave them a treat. I gave them something they wanted. I did something that would make that behavior happen again. Uh... A punishment is... My dog growled, and I said no, or I hit them, or they got the shot collar, they got something like that. They Something negative was given to them to make them not want to do the behavior again. That is punishment. I mean, if I shot my kid in the leg every time he ran away, I, I think that'd work, too. Well, he wouldn't, be able, to run, he wouldn't be able to run away after <laughs> <Exactly>. that. <laughs> like, that would work, probably, unless he's super determined. You want legs? No, you don't get them. <laughs> I can take a toe every time. But yeah. Do you think that, like, although behavioral therapy takes a little longer, would you say, at least just you working with dogs in general, have you seen that it's a lot better for the dogs where they do it because they want to, not just because they're going to get beat up or Mm -hmm. they're going to get a shot collar? Have you noticed that? Yeah, because my whole, a lot of the training that I do is teaching them to make choices. And there's a a whole array of different types of trainings you can do, you know. Um, I'm using super basic because... Man, I could talk about this for hours. You know, yeah. We don't have that kind of time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on them making the right choice, giving them the opportunities to succeed, and rewarding them when they do. So that it's not just like, I shoved my dog in a situation and was like, good job. You know, they're like, what the hell did I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, they, they might figure it out eventually, but if I teach them to think about stuff like you could teach your dog to try things think about it things like that it's um you know you can get them to want to make the decision you know yeah every single time they do something good um they get some like they're 
rewarded or it's a good thing for them or you know whether that's like it doesn't always have to be treats it can be praise it could be a toy it could be just you know a pat on the head you know it can yeah. be stuff like that it can even be like my dog really wants to go smell that tree well will you sit for me thank you okay let's go smell that tree like there's so many different ways to give opportunities for reward and opportunities to exhibit good behavior do you think these can be applied to helping somebody almost figure out their own mental illness for themselves like can they use letting them think for themselves can somebody train themselves to think for themselves do you think that's a, a thing that is maybe a problem in the mental illness community that can be trained yeah like uh the questioning things like we said you're essentially training yourself to not just take whatever thought process pops up as that's real you know that's one way you're training yourself by practicing practicing something is training yourself and so um yeah i totally think you can help yourself mentally yeah and how i would essentially try to focus on helping yourself train oneself lots of yourselves in there (laughs) there's a lot of selves going on (laughs) is um this is something that i would definitely from dog training that's my mantra transfer to any type of training is set yourself up for success Mm -hmm. in mental illness like a lot of it is okay i don't take care of myself like i don't take care of myself mentally i'm not taking care of myself physically like if you're not taking care of yourself physically you're not gonna have the energy to take care of yourself mentally and so that's why a lot of the times that's like one of the first things you should focus on is making sure i'm eating enough i'm drinking enough and i'm sleeping enough you know or maybe even adding in i'm getting some exercise in there but those first three so huge so important and i noticed that a lot of people with mental illness struggle with making those happen yeah i feel like that's a good point is a lot of times we think that in order to love yourself you got to treat yourself Mm -hmm. but a lot of times Loving yourself is taking care of those things that are needed, not necessarily wanted. Right. Which is a very good point. Yeah. And so going back to what does set yourself up for success mean? Um, Let's say, all right, I'm going to make sure I drink enough water. How am I going to do that? Number one for me, I'm going to keep a water bottle next to me. I'm going to drink two full things of this water bottle. And so I would set myself for success for the next day by going and filling up my water bottle so that step's already done and honestly if you want to take it a step further get two water bottles if you feel like i'm not going to get off the couch or i'm not going to do whatever like go get yourself two water bottles both filled both next to you drink like essentially you're setting yourself for up for success by creating uh an easier situation for the habit to happen instead of being like hey i'm gonna go to the gym but you didn't Get yourself workout gear. You didn't set up a thing at the gym. You didn't set any time aside to do this. Like you're just chanting out to the darkness that you're gonna do something. Yeah. But you're not doing anything physically to get yourself prepared for that journey to make it happen. Like the, it's not just telling yourself you gotta prepare before. Maybe that's the first step that people need to take as far as like taking care of themselves mentally and physically is before you even claim something, just figure out what those baby steps are going to be for you to even do that thing. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, you're talking about with exercise. If you're just going to tell yourself, Hey, I'm going to go work out, Mm -hmm. but you're wearing pajamas or you're wearing church clothes or whatever. And you go to the gym, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be the most ideal. You got to think about those steps beforehand. And maybe that'll actually set you up for more success. And I've noticed that like, as far as goals, I'm not the best planner. I kind of suck at that. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I actually do plan out things, it turns out way better. 
Way better. Way better. <laughs> I'm that's also probably, not a planner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have I have trained myself to plan by setting alarms. I have a calendar. I make sure like I've got stuff set up because I will forget. I get in the zone on things all the time. But um, I wanted to backtrack to something you said about baby steps because I feel like that's the second part of setting yourself up for success is I do this all the time. And this is why I keep failing is that I will go from zero to 10,000. I'm like, go from vegetable on the couch, withering away to just one day I'm all, I'm a fix it. And I just, I work out every day. I'm cooking, I'm meal prepping. I'm drinking all my water. Like I'm taking my dog on walks. We're, we're getting stuff done. And then I get burnt out and that cycle just starts over again where I'm like, I can't move right now. And I'm not taking care of myself because I'm so just tired. How you... Those baby steps are something you need to keep in mind. Because, like, sometimes we have the, like, goal... The end goal in mind instead of the journey of I'm not good until I'm there. Yeah. I'm not... I... So, for me, like, water, again, we'll use that as an example. I'm like, I have to drink 72 ounces of water, you know? So, it's like, first day I'm all, it's a fail... Pass or fail situation. I drink 72 ounces of water or I freaking failed. Yeah. Versus being like, all right, my goal is to get to drinking 72 ounces of water. I am currently at drinking negative three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? but like, I'm losing water. I am losing water. <laughs> like, I... So I might be like, okay, next day, you know what? I'm going to have a cup of water ready for me. And when I wake up, I'm going to drink that cup of water. Every time you set yourself a goal and you don't make that goal whether you realize it or not, you're kind of, it's almost like that bad self-talk happens. It's like, oh, I failed. I'm a failure. I can't do it. That's what's going through your head when, or that's what can arise when you set a goal that at the moment is not attainable or likely that you will succeed at the moment. When you set yourself up, even that seems like super easy, like let's say a whole, I can't drink a whole cup right now. Freaking give yourself a shot glass. Like, yeah. do it. Like, literally start where you will succeed yeah. and move forward. If you go from shot glass to cup and you notice, okay, let's say um, I was doing this over first week with shot glass, second week's cup, third week is, you know, moving forward. 50 well, gallon tank. Yeah, 50 gallon. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I start with shot glass. I'm doing fine. I can do a shot glass. That's easy enough. Um, I got practice. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it more fun, right? <laughs> and then I move on to cup, and I'm like, all right, we're doing full cup. When I get to cup, I notice, oh, I keep only drinking, like, half of it. Okay, then I might be like, all right, instead of looking at that, now looking at a cup half empty of, like, I didn't finish that, I failed that challenge, I might be like, all right, you know what? I'm not ready for full cup. <laughs> yeah. Let's do half cup, you know? And, like... That is an extreme example, but that's what I mean of, like, it's okay to set up mini goals that are not the end goal. Well, even taking baby steps back, like, mm-hmm. I've noticed, even with me just going to the gym more and stuff, sometimes I'll put a really high mm-hmm. bar in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. Literally and metaphorically, I know, it's just kidding, <laughs> but um, I will lift something and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to get this weight, and I don't quite make it. And I realized, okay, instead of beating myself up, I just got to take it as is. I can't handle this weight. Maybe I got to take a step back. Not just taking baby steps, but maybe when you need to, take steps back. That's totally okay. Yeah, totally. Because 
that's what happens is you like fail at something you set yourself up you pushed yourself too far or even maybe one week you're just something's come up you're just not ready for that week for that to happen that's okay like Mm -hmm. it's okay to think all right i gotta take a few steps back because we're constantly changing throughout our lives like your identity is going to change a lot in ways like it's going to develop over time you know but you change like thing like being fit that was super part of my identity i loved being like that super athletic strong chick that rolled with the dudes like that was my thing for a while and um yeah i think when we hold on to those identity pieces so much that we make it almost a pillar to our confidence when you lose those pillars as you change through life it can knock at your confidence it makes you unstable and so i think it's important to let yourself be mentally flexible to understand that life happens some in your control and some not and you're gonna change because of that and you might not be completely the same person you were before that change happened you know another like component of behavioral therapy now that is really gaining traction is about self-compassion and how powerful that is because it's going back to what we were saying of like earlier in the podcast that when we speak poorly about ourselves we think that helps and we're doing it because we think it's motivating us and if we stop doing that we're going to turn into mush you know we're just not going to do anything we're gonna be limp yeah we're just gonna not want to do anything because we're not we don't have that you know hardcore coach in our ear constantly telling us you're an f up because you (laughs) didn't do this like like just being like getting in your business about it but like i was saying this is what they're finding with studies is that that makes it worse I know that you do a lot of research. I love talking with you because you do a lot of research and a lot of things. I'm getting better at that. A lot of times I just hear one thing. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) Um, But I really like talking to you because you do a lot of research. And I want you to kind of tell our listeners, as far as when you were younger, you said you started at like nine. Mm -hmm. As far as researching what works for you, what could work. What are some ways that our listeners can... Uh, start researching for themselves like what what can they do to start looking for things that can work for them Mm -hmm. Um, what things do you could you offer to them that they could go take a look at right (sighs) you know that's a good question and part of the i research a lot is it's hard to really pinpoint a designated like resource that i would say this is the one for me the biggest things were to practice um certain skills Mm -hmm. like uh like i said recognize learn go look up cognitive distortions recognize what they are maybe look up someone explaining what each one of them looks like in practice and recognize for yourself what am i doing because even if you don't have a mental illness we all do that yeah like we all do this it's super common and so i would start with doing that um get familiar with that I would look into the concept of self-compassion. A book that I haven't completed yet, but I have been reading is... um, Oh, now I'm not going to remember what it's called. Is it called Self-Compassion? It's got that in there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's uh, essentially... Yeah, I can't remember the name. Well, I'm sure there's lots of books out there, too. They can look up just self-compassion and how to... I'm sure there's how-to self-compassion books, but... Yeah, like, this one was specifically for um, childhood trauma. 
how to get over childhood trauma and self how to treat it with self-compassion and things like that. And it had exercises in it, essentially. Like, this was an exercise that I think is powerful, is to write to yourself. In this case, this is talking about childhood trauma, so I would write to little me <laughs> mm-hmm. and be like, what did little me want to hear? You know, like, it might have been like, it's okay, like, you're good enough, things like that. Like, there's that one, or there is writing a story about yourself as if you're not talking about yourself. So, like, it's like, I would write the story of my childhood as if I was talking about someone else. Mm. And, you know, those are practices of helping you step away from what happened to you because it's super common for us to, especially as kids, have something happen to us and it's easier to blame ourselves than it is to understand that, like, let's say you had a parent that struggled with anger and they screamed a lot at you. Uh, they might, you would, might internalize that as like, I have something wrong with me. Like, I keep making my parents so mad at me. Like, yeah. I am such a bad kid. Like, I need to be perfect. I need to be good or else I'm going to get yelled at. Instead of realizing, no, that parent is struggling with something that has nothing to do with you as a child. And they are lashing out to you in ways that are harmful to you. Like, that is a them problem. You did not do anything to deserve that in the moment. You, even if you, let's say, ran away or you broke a vase or <laughs> you did something like that, you are a child. You make mistakes. Hell, even if you are an adult, mistakes happen. And belittling, screaming, doing all that is not an appropriate way to address those mistakes. Honestly, any person, even if you feel like you're super healthy, I just think that going to therapy is like taking a shower, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I just feel like it doesn't have to be all the time, but I do think it's good for our health to even just go talk about things or do something for yourself mentally, you know? So those are my suggestions of first, like, first things first things I would say you should go do is, yeah. Cognitive distortions, question your thoughts, look into therapy.